Hey everyone, welcome back to Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations. This is your host, Ivan Lozano, and we have an interview today with Melissa Leandro. Now, um, I want to remind you all to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Patreon at Archives and Futures, all one word, all spelled out. And subscribe and share at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And when you're looking for us, uh, type in Archives Plus Futures. That's how you'll find us. Sometimes also using my name, Ivan Lozano, will help you get a better result. Follow us, rate us, and share the podcast. Help us get new listeners and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Archives and Futures, and I have a guest here in the studio. So, uh, who are you? Hi. <laughs> Hi, my name is Melissa Landro. Uh, yeah, I'm an artist living and working in Chicago. Um, do you want me to say a little bit about my practice? Yeah, let's talk. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, I've been living in Chicago for about 10 years now. I'm originally from Miami, Florida. And my practice is mostly centered around um, textiles. So I do a lot of weaving, uh, embroidery, uh, stitching, dyeing, and all in the sort of conversation of painting and drawing. If anybody remembers, not that I expect anybody to because it wasn't <laughs> recorded, but about a year ago, uh, Melissa was part of our sort of like pilot season that we called it. And her and Victoria Martinez did uh, an interview that in the end, I don't think it was properly recorded. So it's never going to see the light oh, of day. So sad. But it was like a really great interview. And I just wanted to get Melissa back in here because I really <laughs> liked our conversation. And also like I really like her work. So I wanted to, oh, um, thank you. to get to get her in the studio and talk about her practice and her background and everything. So, yeah, that was a great conversation. Oh, it's like hidden in time now. It's gone. It was fun. Yeah, I don't know who has those files. I think maybe Gonzalo has them, but I'm not really sure. Um, but that was fun. We talked about a lot of things, like everything. The yeah. conversation just like started with art, started with what we do, and then just took this crazy whirlwind through history, essentially, right? Like our personal histories. So I did. So, so that was like good research for me, also to have this conversation because I can remember some of the points. And um, so maybe let's start with your practice. I mean, I know that you are a big part of the SAIC community. I am. I'm in the bubble. Yeah, <laughs> in, in the bubble. I'm very much like in the SAIC bubble right now where I um, have a couple roles there. I mean, obviously, I went to grad school there. And so I got my MFA in the fiber material studies department. Um, I'm also now teaching there. Nice. Uh, part time. Part time. <laughs> Um, I teach a stitch class. I teach an introduction to fibers class. And then I also am, you know, my day job is facilities director of the fiber material studies department. So I'm like all hands on deck there in all capacities. Nice. And what did you do for undergrad? I, I went to SAC. SAC, yeah. yeah. I was, I went to SAC. Well, that was the reason I moved to Chicago. And then, you know, I ended up graduating got a job and then a position opened up at SAIC nice and so I got you know I got a full-time job there as like assistant manager I think like three years went by and I was like all right I want to I gotta go to grad school now like I you know I was hitting kind of like a lull and like what I could do with my art at the time and I just needed something and then I applied to a bunch of different places but SAIC actually has a really dope ass fiber department. Yeah, I mean, I've sung the praises of the of the fiber department it's, previously in this in the show. I mean, all my friends when I was in grad school were in fiber. It was always the best conversations. It's, it's good, and like you know, I also like was making an income at the time, right. and I wasn't totally ready to commit to like a hundred grand, yeah. <laughs> in student yeah. debt. And you know, if I kept my job, then I can go and get my grad degree for free. You know, and I can also kind of have some kind of control over yeah. my experience there because I was essentially like the director of the right. facilities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, uh, you know, I want to use this tool or I want to like learn this like cool ass, you know, digital embroidery machine. Oh, I'm going to just like buy it <laughs> and then I can use it. In That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So in that way, it was great. But now it's like a weird like bubble. I like very much know SAIC and all its folk. How did your practice change from like undergrad and then being in the grad program there? And um... Well, I, it was like super influenced by my fucking day job. So 
you know, my job there is to like literally teach everyone how to use all of the equipment, Mm -hmm. all of the different like variations of things that are there, you know, to teach the students or maybe like new faculty how to use things. So I started just like dabbling, right? Like I had to learn how to use the knitting machine, the embroidery machines, like do things digitally and do things analog. Um, And so then my practice just like became all about that layering process and just like getting to fuck with tools, you know, to see how they could be, you know, not automated, but like how they could be gestural, which is a lot of what my work is about. It's about, you know, how do you get that painting from your sketchbook or that doodle that you're doing to translate into something that's super historically like laborious, like labor oriented and and really slow. Right. So it was just like... It was like an immediate shift into something that was a lot more like wild, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> um, so I don't know. What kinds of what kind of gestures are you interested in? Well, kind of just like that sort of really quick, like natural mark making that happens. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I'm I move around the city a lot, and I'm like I have very little time. So like my dedicated studio time is small (laughs) so you know i use every fucking moment like if i'm on the train or i'm on the bus or just like you know commuting between places you know i'm like scratching up things you know in my sketchbook or i'm making little like sun prints or cyanotype nice you know on the go or just like oh i've got like five minutes before the bus comes i'm gonna make a sun print oh my gosh expose it you know and that's kind of like a chronicle of like what's going on right now in my life and they just become, you know, kind of like a collection process of like keepsakes. Um, and there was just something really fascinating about getting to then translate that into, you know, like fibrous materials, like some sort of substrate that yeah. could be handled and manipulated in different ways. So it was a way to just keep drawing. You know, I could always like pick up that fabric and start stitching on it or put it in a dye bath and forget about it and come back to it later. Um, so. Do you tend to work on a lot of things at once because of that? Hell Is it just like yeah. <laughs> yeah. 50 balls in the air at all times? Well, yeah. I think it's the same way that I have like 10 sketchbooks at one time. And it's whichever one I pick up that day to put in my bag. And then which bag am I carrying that day? It's the same way with the nice. weavings. So like I'll weave a bunch of drawings and then they'll be in different elements of they're getting embroidered or they're getting you know, poured wax all over them or torn or <laughs> stitched back together. And the first time, just to sort of back up a little bit, the first time that I met you was because we were both in the show at the Cultural yes. Center, mm-hmm. um, which was curated by Edra Soto and Jose Pello. Mm-hmm. Um, present Standard, I think yes, it was called. Yes, Present Standard. Yes, that was great. And our pieces were sort of next to each other. They and were. you had this like beautiful piece where you, I think like, ironed on like a, a <laughs> it was like plastic tablecloths you know like those ones that you like have your birthday parties yes. on and you put the plastic down and then you throw the garbage out at the end but yeah i was like tearing those up and stitching or weaving them together kind of like what you're doing here in the yeah the, yeah the plastic I, lo- I love like plastic substrate mm-hmm. um or one of the things that struck me about that piece to sort of start a, like a conversation was how you were using this this reference to like home Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they were they were essentially they were referencing the home, but they were very much moving away from yeah. the home, right? Like they're no longer on the table, but they're up on the wall, right? And yeah. they're you maybe slightly recognize them for what they are. There's little hints of like, oh, is that a, like a birthday balloon illustration, or is that a doily shape or lace? Um, so there's little hints of it, but then they're getting placed on. I had sewn those onto like natural linen and like stretched it over you know canvas stretcher bar so it looked really formal actually which yeah. was you know pretty different to something that's disposable and that we like think is you know something we buy at the dollar store <laughs> we yeah. toss out yeah um for a part you know for our quinceanera or something <laughs> i just uh i just saw this um this new instagram uh shout out to this instagram i'll i'll, I'll, I'll post about it later but it's just pictures of quinceaneras Oh, really? Yeah, from like all <gasps> kinds of different cultures. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It's so good. Because those fibers <laughs> like very, and those... Yeah. yeah, from like, yeah, like Cuban ones. A lot of them are from Miami. I think this person might be like Miami-based or oh, like surprise, have like... Surprise. yeah. So there's a lot of Cuban ones, but I'm like, I'm going to keep track of this. And I sent it to everybody I know because like... 
Oh, I love quinceañeras. I would love that. And I love quinceañeras too, but mostly because I didn't have a quinceañera. I like, just went to other people's, obviously, yeah. like, especially in Mexico. Like, you know, boys don't yeah. get quinceañeras, which is right. bullshit. But. I know that is bullshit. <laughs> but I also, I did participate in my few quinceañeras, but I never got one. I think it was something about like, it just... I don't know. My family was like the only Costa Rican family like in Miami or on the block. Yeah. So it was like we kind of didn't have like a connection to other people. To the quinceañera culture? Yeah, yeah. I think so. You know, there was just like some some little shift there that was missing. (laughs) And so I didn't have that amazing experience. Ugh, that's sad, but at least you got to see other ones. I one mean, day, dude. Yeah, one, one day. day. <laughs> you can always have a quinceañera for yourself at any age. It's true, I know. And I can make my own dress now. Exactly, you can make your own dress. You can you can weave your own dress suits. or whatever you want. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that gets to another point. I I I appreciate in your work also that a lot of the references, like I think in terms of like colors, mm-hmm. uh, and color combinations, also come from this sort of background. Yeah, uh, it's it's always very tropical in the sense. It's yeah, always very ocean esque. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to avoid that. Obviously, I'm gonna just want to gravitate towards bright neon lights and mm-hmm. colorful fuchsias and you know just this crazy kind of like vibrating colors. Yeah. In the same way that like of course I'm gonna miss you know just walking outside the house in Miami and there's just there's beautiful plants everywhere. There's right. mangoes on the trees. <laughs> you know, totally different from this landscape. Yeah. How do you keep that alive in Chicago? Is it I through your practice? Because I think that a lot of the things when I use a lot of color is like, I mean, you're in my studio here now and you see that it's fucking covered in color everywhere. <laughs> and that's like a very, everywhere. yeah. So that's for me, it's a very sort of it's conscious a, movement. I I never think about it that way that it is conscious. But yeah, I mean, in very in many ways, like I haven't lived there for a decade now. And uh, I'm still it's still very much a part of like how I just like negotiate what makes me happy and like yeah. what what makes me feel good and warmth and and happiness and sunny like all those things and even like what I collect you know like I'll collect grass and leaves and like little rocks in the same way that I would collect you know seashells as right. cliche as that is but I did but it's you know? true yeah it's little yeah. things and bits and pieces and I mean I guess just using sunprints and cyanotype that's yeah. Hello. a reference yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to, that, to the sun to the longing of the sun yeah yeah how long have you been doing that um, I think I started at some point during my grad degree, um, probably like first couple months in, I just like figured out, oh, like Sunprints has such a close relationship to photograms. And yeah. I, you know, I had studied photography for a little while while I was, you know, growing up as a kid, darkroom photography, and I was obsessed with doing photograms. So it's kind of full circle that I ended up kind of discovering Sunprints. That's interesting too. And it, and it gets to like the idea of layering in your work also. And like one thing being on top of the other and creating like a third thing or being mixed. Mm-hmm. That the, the real thing is now gone, right? And it's right. Just this now like, it's all in the digital space that you're yeah, doing Yeah, it's just this impression of something. And then, you know, no one else knows what that something is. Even I don't always remember. That's fun. Kind of, which I kind of like. Yeah. Is, um, how do you feel about working in the digital space? In the digital space? Well, I mean... I mean, it's just, it seems like it's only a part of your process. It's a part. I mean, I definitely don't like to be trapped in the digital space because I think, although there's like room to glitch, there there are some limitations. And so that's where for me, like very much like feeling my body being activated by like physically dyeing something or tearing something apart or like pouring wax on something. Like those gestures are really important to me. Whereas now I think almost like, the digital aspects like using a digital jacquard loom or um, a digital embroidery machine are becoming almost like second mm. um i don't know second tier or <laughs> less relevant but yeah let's back up a little bit maybe and go back to saic just to, to start thinking about like shout outs to people and how you got how you got <laughs> to where you were but like what was your experience like in, gra- like in grad school it was obviously really helpful that you had control of the equipment that everybody else was using too. it was it was helpful it was like it was so hard <laughs> i mean i was just negotiating like trying to be at work trying to you know you got to like do your job still <laughs> and then yeah but you're also trying to live the student life which is right re- like student artist life which i think is is very luxurious in the sense that you're just given this free time to produce work and be in your studio and you know no cares in the world just make 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 and I was sort of like oh I'm still like my hat 
part of my life is still very much in the real world and I'm yeah. sort of bouncing back and forth between those two. So <laughs> Yeah, I was working full time basically. I was working thirty five <laughs> hours when I was in grad school. So yeah, it was a really kind of weird thing too. Yeah. But it, it did like give me a lot of control in the sense of like I could really shape the way I don't know, the way that I wanted to steer my practice because I did have some some sway in like what I what was happening there. Um, and then it was important for me to like have advisors that were specifically not in fiber material studies oh. like that. Yeah, that must have been weird because then they're also weird. like your bosses kind of if <laughs> they were yeah, in the fiber department. Like, it's like, they're yeah, like my bosses are my colleagues. And so maybe this was something I shouldn't have done. But I like kind of purposely did not advise with almost anybody in my department. And I, nice. and I mostly stuck to um, folks in painting and drawing or in ceramics, actually. Oh, wow. The who, entire time. Who so, did you work with when you were there that you enjoyed? Um, Jose Laramo was like someone nice. that was like really influential in what I was doing because <laughs> he kind of just sort of came in when just say, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> do this. See you next yeah. week. <laughs> but in a way that like I really needed to hear, like I, I needed to stop being so hesitant about making certain decisions and I needed to just like, you know, go big or go home. Like, and I really appreciated that. That was super helpful. Um, and, you know, our talks weren't always super long. You know, sometimes yeah. they were five minutes, but I found it actually more productive than, you know, other situations where I'd talk, you know, for an hour and a half and I'd have no idea. What, right. What came? Well, and also since you were working that. so much through grad school, like a five-minute talk, that means that you have fifty-five minutes to just be <laughs> yeah, in the studio. Yeah, to just be in your studio, and you know, like get to like talk to everybody. And it was it was kind of interesting because I, you know, I was an employee there, and so the way that the other students like would interact with me was also really different. So that took some time to like adjust to, but. Now, since you've still, you're still in the SAIC bubble. Oh, yeah. And now I've, like, now I've added the... Now the you're also teaching there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Do you feel like you had, like, a like a post-grad school, like, postpartum depression type of feeling? That's something that's come up with a couple of people, that uh, post-grad school. Hell no. No, because you're still there. No. Yeah. I was, like, I was ready to go. Like, let's... Afuera, let's get out of here. You know, in the <laughs> sense that, like... I mean, I... It was great to get all of that push to like really move my practice into the right direction. Like for sure, night and day from when I started to when I came out, it was just a huge like dramatic leap. Yeah. But I was just like, I'm ready. Like let's grad degrees over. I I want to just like keep making work, studio practice. Like let's be real. <laughs> and what have you been doing since then? I know that definitely you were part of the Chicago Artist Coalition program. Oh yeah. That was so great. That was amazing. I yeah, I did that pretty much right after. And I think they're they I can't speak any more highly of their of what they're doing. I mean, that was just an opportunity to meet really yeah. cool people. Yeah. Like just all the time. You know, my studio mates, they're just like such a wonderful cohort cohort. That was a great cohort. That was it really was, fun. It was, right? We were all really Yeah, shout out to Derek. Fun. Close oh, friend. Derek. Oh. Oscar. <laughs> ben. Ben. I know. Cameron, too. Cameron. Shash. I know everybody. It's good. Um, and so you just like, and you also got to meet Ronnie. Curate. Yeah, we can list them all, Jeff. Yeah, we could. Yeah. I guess maybe we should, just so <laughs> yeah, they're not Emilio. like. Emilio. Emilio. Uh, Gene, right? Gene. Yeah. That's it. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got. Oh, oh my God. And then we forgot someone. There we no, go. That was everybody. <laughs> Yeah, no, they were just amazing, you know, and they were always, they're always excited to hear what's going on and what's up. And then you meet all the different curators and that's really important because it sort of introduces you to the landscape of what's yeah, happening definitely. I in think that that's Chicago. One of the, yeah, yeah, one of the of best parts of that program, right? That yeah. They... And you do like open studios and you just, you need to like be there like on, on the yeah. regular and it's a great location or like, well, it's old location. It was yeah. great too. I mean, it's not that <laughs> yeah. far away anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. not that far anyway. But like where it was for me was really convenient, convenient from SAIC. Yeah. yeah. So that was amazing. And then you get a show like it's, it was good all the way around. And we had a group show as well. Um, I was sad to see it go because then we would do studio visits too, or we would do studio critiques every time each of us had a solo show. Yeah. And that was really amazing. Um, it just, Great. I feel like that's one of the the saddest part about not being in grad school. The, 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 I know uh, the critique element. The critique element, gone. yeah, the constant right and feedback so, loop. Yeah, and so I mean, Bolt in that capacity or any program like that is just going to be super helpful if you're getting a withdrawal moment because that'll really yeah. be that one little thing once a month you get a crit, a crit, or you participate in a crit. Yeah. 
So I yeah, those can that. be super helpful yeah. and fun. And I miss sort of shared studios, you know, where you would. Yeah, when there's gossip. somebody there and gossip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to gossip all the time. Your studio, every time that I went there, because I went a couple of times because of Derek and. Um, yeah, it was right next to me. <laughs> yeah, your stuff was always so well organized. Oh, yeah. It's got to be like clean, dude. <laughs> yeah. Did they force you all to like be really clean all the time? Or was that just... Well, we had a lot of studio visits. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We had had to clean up all the time. You you had a lot of studio visits, so you kind of need to, like, pull it together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so otherwise... And, like, for me, I've usually negotiated more than one sort of studio space. Mm. So because before I started Bolt, I already had a studio. Right. And so did Cameron, actually, in East Garfield Park. And so I didn't feel like I needed I wanted to let that one go got it yeah yeah yeah. um so definitely had more of like the workshop kind of somewhere else yeah versus and then bringing it in yeah versus like finishing kind of things at Chicago Artist Coalition which was okay for me to like kind of divide those things up yeah you participated in some other programs for example I, I, I wrote down like Ragdale and Oxbow Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oxbow. So I was just teaching at Oxbow this nice. summer. I taught the a stitch course there. And then I'm going to teach that next summer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that was amazing. Oxbow was... I have never done the residency there, but I, I just... that was This was my first year teaching there. Um, the students were super excited. And you're, you're with them all day long. So it's just like nonstop, nice. yeah. which is great. Um, and they are, you know, they want to be there. They're right. super excited, yeah. which I don't think you always get that at SAC. They're definitely they yeah, do yeah. not want to be not there. Not all of them want to be there. <laughs> so that's really different for a teacher. It really just it, you don't have to feel like you're constantly being the cheerleader. You can, you know, actually enjoy yeah. what you're doing. And then Ragdale, oof, Ragdale Foundation. I know a lot of people who have gone and had a residency there. Have you done? That? I haven't done. You it, need no. to go. Okay, you would. It's not far, so yeah. you don't have to, like, your whole life doesn't right. have to go. <laughs> you can still, you know, head over there. And it's just so much space. It's this beautiful prairie. It's these old barn houses. And you, you they just feed you, and you just frolic. Nice. You do whatever you want. They give you a white, you know, a little white room studio. And you, yeah. Do you enjoy residency programs? It seems like it. It sounds like it. I love can you tell that I love? Well, I mean, I you know, if you work full time, residencies are your jam. Like yeah, that is you know, it's concentrated time to just produce work, not be interrupted. Someone else does my chores, and nice. like you know, I don't have to worry about laundry or groceries or any of that bullshit or commuting. Yeah, waste. That's true. You know, it's a total waste of time. That's true. So yeah. The Ragdale Foundation, um, I did that this summer, and I also did the Atlantic Center for the Arts this nice. summer. So that's in Florida, which was great. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend anyone apply. It's just, it's about three weeks long, and you go with a group of maybe eight other artists, or visual artists, and then there's also going to be poets there, musicians, and uh, possibly like dancers or some other kind of art practice. Nice. So how did you get into art? Backing up a little bit more. Whew, how did I get back into it? Oh my god! <laughs> Big gosh. questions. Let's yeah. bring it back. Like. Let's bring it back. <laughs> um, I'm always interested in hearing how people know, got to I that got path. I got into art. I mean, because art classes are free. That's why I got into nice. art. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my you know my mom and my dad they, you know, they didn't have any you know much money when we were growing up and um, art programs like at the elementary school and the middle school they're they're free they're public. Um, Especially like, you know, in elementary school, of course, you know, art, you can get into art classes really easily. And then uh, for middle school in Miami, they have these wonderful like magnet programs um, or are just like special arts um, schools or high schools. And so that's something that I applied to. And then if you get accepted, it's free, you know, and then you get like three hours of yeah. your day of just getting to do that cool ass art thing for free. And like materials are provided and <clears throat> all this stuff and so I studied like darkroom photography for like three years and when you know when I was like you know preteen. <laughs> yeah and then in high school I went to New World School of the Arts which is like this really beautiful place in Miami and super duper hippie place um you get like four hours of art every day that's awesome you there's only like you know a hundred students in your class and so it's it's very small it's very like you need to be committed it's also in freaking downtown Miami so you have to commute your ass over there at like six in the morning so you need to really want to be there 
But other than that, it was, you know, it was like the kind of school where there's no there's no dress code. There's no form of discipline. You don't have to wear shoes. <laughs> uh, you know, there are plenty of people who didn't wear shoes to school. And oh, you were just encouraged to, like, literally be your artist self. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And and the no form of discipline, I think, was really amazing. I mean, imagine, like, no detention. No, like, you're suspended. No, you know, you just you either want to be there or you don't. Yeah. So that was amazing. <laughs> so I, I guess that's what like really pushed me into. Do you feel like that kind of helped you um, feel comfortable at SAIC? <laughs> <laughs> Where there are no grades and barely any discipline. Yeah. Also? <laughs> yes. Yes and no. I mean, but I had a hard time at SAIC. I mean, I had a hard time in Chicago, period. And I th- Yeah, that's a huge change going from... Miami or anywhere warm to Chicago. But you know, it wasn't the weather thing. I mean, yeah, it's it's cold, whatever. But it was the it was the people. You know, oh. it was like it's it was a cultural shift. Yeah, I mean, back then, I'm sure SAC has changed. You know, I'm I'm gonna say this for them, but back then, I don't. You know, I was like the only Latin girl in the class. Yeah. For all four years that I was there, <laughs> I mean, that was really common, and. Pfft, forget having like a latin teacher or right. even like a black professor or anything you know that was like nobody it didn't happen no it didn't happen and and that wasn't even that long ago so yeah that was that was pretty hard and then of course the city is structured really differently i mean it's super segregated here yeah. which was really strange coming from kind of miami where and there's a lot more mixing going on right <laughs> so those were kind of like bigger bigger things that really upset me about do you feel comfortable in chicago now i do i spent like several years wanting to leave and now i i really really like it what are what are the things that you really like about chicago the art i mean of course the art scene like the um the ability to live here you know to actually it's affordable yeah it's a fucking it's affordable there is transportation which every city does not have just like good yes you know and i'm gonna say i'm a big fan of that too in chicago like Mm -hmm. the public transportation like a lot of people don't use it but it's like i mean and you can hate on it of course it's got its problems and chicago needs to kick it up and do better but if you compare it to Miami, if you compare it to LA, right. like, come on, it's, it's doing pretty well. Right. You can get somewhere. Yeah. And I, if I can have a studio practice, still have an apartment, which I did for several years, like, you know, that's amazing. That's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, for and, sure. There's space to do that. And there's always going to be some, you know, art space. Like there's so many art spaces that I don't even know about or can't keep track of. Yeah. It's people, impossible to keep track of them because they keep closing open. and opening. Yeah. People are always opening something new and, I, and I'm like, which gallery? Where is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's that's what I really like about it. And, I mean, I just, you know, I like cities. So, <laughs> I just want to Yeah, it's stay. a good one to be in. Yeah, I like it. city. And, yeah, I, don't, I, I bought a house, you know, with my partner recently. That's a big, big art move. Yes. So that's, that's a big move, yeah. It's a big move. It's good. It's like, um, can I talk about this? <laughs> yeah, of course. You can talk about anything okay, you I'm want. Okay, I'm just going to keep ranting. Um, yeah. Yeah, we bought like a like a 1960s diner nice. in West Humboldt Park. Oh my gosh! Yes, um, so super exciting. Um, and just because I've really wanted for a long time to, I want my studio and my home to be in the same place. Nice. Yeah, and that's like been a huge dream of mine, and it's it's you know been possible because Chicago has been so affordable that I've yeah. been able to save, and I've been working all this time and shit, and like I, you know, I looked, I searched for a long time, and finally found this like weirdos bizarre ass building <laughs> that i'm gonna turn into my studio that's awesome <laughs> yeah and you know i like you know i like living in west humble park so that's been that's been pretty cool yeah humble park is nice um mm-hmm. well that's great though i mean that's gonna be awesome to have I'm that so space excited. right there i know it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah and you just finished moving there we just yeah well we live we've been living there two months and i finally got out of my other studio in east garfield park and um have finally moved into this studio the restaurant so now it's just time to like organize renovate do all that stuff so let's talk a little bit about like influences um things you think about when making art let's maybe start by like how you think about your work because you were talking about kind of getting your hands dirty and putting things you know in um stretching them or weaving them or dyeing them or whatever. And one thing that I'm always interested in, in, in talking to other artists about is how they feel about their work. Like, does your work have like its own life when you're not there? Is it like, is the end result the, the thing that excites you the most or is it the process? 
is a work like because for example for myself like they all have like their lifespan they're like (laughs) life when i'm not there yes you know and and yes it's all sort of like a um like a record of like a of of the creation of them and to me that's really important but i know that like different artists have different definitions of that for themselves i kind of feel the same i mean i really like the making of it and yeah of course the the finish is like a really nice place to be but i almost then immediately just like boom done next you know and just kind of like move on it's almost like just tearing a page out of a book you're like okay next one and i mean kind of like these things having a life after especially now that I'm starting to think about um like furniture and I've started to like um make upholstery fabric for furniture so that very much is in thinking of these objects having a life afterwards yeah and a very physical tactile life as opposed to you know what I've been doing where the works are on the wall um you know, for you to look at yeah. <laughs> and live with them still, but not in the same capacity. Like they will change because your body is going to just like rub up against them. They're, yeah. they're going to form, they're going to age. And that's going to be surprising because I won't be there for that moment or hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully somebody <laughs> Unless you come over my house yeah, and it's exactly. just like all, all my furniture. <laughs> that's an interesting switch. How did that switch come about? Because it's a crazy conceptual switch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe not so much when you're making so, fabric. I don't yeah. think so much. I mean, if you're making fabric, you're thinking about domestic spaces that you missed, have lived in, walked through, like loved, longed. Um, it's it's not a big jump to then think about the furniture that's in those spaces that might also be influencing you. Um, and then also to thinking about like foreign pieces of furniture. And I'm going to say foreign in the same way that like, you know, Chicago is still kind of like foreign to me. I like thinking about furniture that I don't have a necessarily close or personal relationship to. Mm. So furniture styles that I didn't grow up with, like mid-century or, you know, Dutch, whatever, Dutch modern. Uh, (laughs) Just like furniture pieces that I maybe grew up seeing and um, admiring, but not have any relation to them being in my personal home or, you know, anything that we could afford, essentially. Um, And a lot of that kind of relates back to, you know, my mom's profession as like a housekeeper, you know, in Miami and how I'd go with her, you know, when I was growing up and um, not help her clean houses, but I would like come with her and just like, you know, kill time and maybe like clean a little bit and then just like chill and sit down somewhere <laughs> like a brat. But um, wandering through these like other people's homes that yeah. were, you know, foreign environments to me. And of course, they were always, you know, people that were upper class. And so their style would be completely different from like my home. Right. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about what furniture's kind of spark that moment for me and then picking those out to then put my textiles over them. That's a really interesting thing. Yeah, you're sort of like covering. I'm, yeah, I'm, you're claiming I'm reclaiming them. them. Yes. <laughs> I'm definitely reclaiming them with my crazy, you know, like imprints of plastic tablecloths or, you know, my mother's like care packages that she sends to me these little knickknacks or like things i'm collecting when i'm traveling you know in south america or in eastern europe or going on a residency i'm just collecting things that are part of my life you know regurgitating them onto these textiles and then they go back into this furniture that is like super foreign and not a part of my life but it can be yeah (laughs) and i'll make it (laughs) yeah i think that's a great idea i love i I love that sort of claiming of the space but also like making it yours i think that's really really political in really kind of subtle ways um i also really appreciate how suddenly the work becomes something you live with Mm -hmm. (laughs) very intimately (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah i think I think that's going to give it a different energy. And also then I'm kind of interacting now in a different space too, where people are talking to me about furniture and furniture design. And there's always, there's always this kind of conflict with textiles, right? Like textiles, even when they're on the wall and they're stretched, like some of my work is, they're not paintings. Right. And so you're going to be kind of like pushed over to the craft world or, and now I'm being pushed over to the furniture design world and so there's this constant pull and shift between people asking me, well, what do you what what do you call yourself? Like, what are you now? Or are you going to be a furniture d- designer? Are you going to make multiples or blah, blah, blah? And I don't know. It's just why do How you, do you to, feel about that? I just don't like I don't like being like pinned down as nice. one as one thing. And, you know, if 
by make a furniture piece it's I mean at least for right now they're well they're one of a kind things they exist as one being and then that's it you know I for, that special furniture piece is now gone and something totally different is going to happen and maybe I won't make furniture any you know like there's yeah. no I don't want any you don't par- want to put limits on I don't where want your work any is going parameters on anything and some people are always trying to <laughs> always try to do yeah. that you know like oh Melissa you stretched your piece over here but then you're having it like hang like a normal textile over here what's going on and I'm like like shut the you know yeah, I can do <laughs> I can do whatever the fuck I want um so I don't know now maybe I also think something really special about your practice is that there's not a lot of people that use jacquard looms no <laughs> no because they're so expensive they're exactly so crazy. it's a very rarefied kind of environment oh for sure yeah how do you feel being in that pool of people <laughs> in well in that pool of people but I think also like being from Florida and from a Costa Rican family and, you know, being different in that pool of people than from what a lot of people that are there. I think of like Jacquard Loom and, you know, there's not a lot of people that I think of that. Nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like um, I feel that it's like used for like high fashion a lot of the times. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, but then I think with that moment, that's where it's good to then try to th- for me, throw myself over into the art world yes. and not be, I want, I don't want to say trapped to not offend to be, but like trapped in the jacquard weaving world, yeah. sewing world, stitch world. Like those are, yeah, I, I'm going to, I can nerd out about those things. No problem. And I'm going to teach them. That's great. But I'm making art <laughs> and I want to nice. like, I want to have conversations with other people that are doing, using different materials and different like technologies and whatever. So I, I just think like being outside of that as much as possible has been helpful for me. And that's, I think, why I tried to advise with so many people that had very different practices from mine. I'm, that was helpful in learning like their language for how they talk about their work and their materials and in the same way that, you know, that helped me figure out what I was doing. So. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I wanted to ask you is, um, we brought it up, or I brought it up a little bit before we started recording, but, you know, sometimes we end up in situations uh, where, like, we're sort of forced to put our foot down. Mm, uh-huh, yes, we were talking about that. Yeah, oh. we were sort of mentioning that, and how difficult it is to sort of find yourself in those positions, and how there's all these, like, I guess like systemic blocks or like things built into the structure that sort of are trying to just hinder you, they're trying yeah. to put you down or people are trying to take advantage, of course, always. Um, especially like as a young artist, that's just gonna that's gonna happen all the time. Um, so you're doing something, you know, you're interested in what you're doing, everything's great, someone approaches you and says, Oh, let me show your work. Come out, you know, you can have a solo show here, blah blah blah. Okay, great. Sounds awesome. You know, you might not know too much about that person. Um, and then you sign up for it and that person really flakes out on you, you know, and that's sort of, I for me, that I find that really just, oh, it just kills me when an artist is put in a position where they're working their ass off. Yeah. They're doing a shit ton of, you know, labor yeah. and going the extra mile. And then I'm going to say like the gallerist or the curator or the, you know, person kind of, as that in between or that sense of power essentially gatekeepers the gatekeeper is then not pulling their weight right so they're not being present they're not being professional they're not being responsible they're not handling your work properly right right and then how do you what do you say about that you know do you have the right to say anything like hey can you not handle that like that? Right, because you know? it's, it's such or, a difficult conversation or, because then you can be or, the difficult artist and exactly. you never want to be that. And you never want to be, you know, have that stamp on your... Right. Fr- because, of course, like Chicago is a small pool. Yeah. You know, everybody knows everybody's, you know, business. And so if you have an attitude or are difficult, who's going to want to work with you after that? Which is hard because then if a gallerist is not paying you or they're not supporting you as they should or they're not giving you back your work which yeah or they're altering it without you knowing oh yeah or they're putting your name on their website which Mm -hmm. i've had not just one gallery do that but two galleries do that and like one in miami and one in (laughs) chicago 
um, where they're just sort of putting your images and everything sort of acting as the representation. But then it's like, I'm totally fine with that if you've agreed to right. do that with me. Yeah. And, and also like you need to compensate me. Like you Absolutely. Need, People I'm, need to be compensated. You know, artists, we never want to like no they never want to talk about this, but you have to be sustainable. You have to actually sell your work to Definitely. make more yeah, work yeah, yeah. unless you're getting grants yeah. or stipends from other some some other capacity. So I like to be super transparent about that whenever I talk to anybody. Which I know might be a like <laughs> No, I think that's a really important point because I mean the way that the art world is structured really does benefit people that have family wealth and the oh ability to not worry about things yes. like where the money to make the next piece is coming from or exactly. how am I going to pay my bills? That's never been my reality. And I mean, I'm like, that's amazing that other people can have that. Yeah, good for them. But the system like doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, exactly. And so you need to work and you also need, you know, you need, you need to have your day job or you could teach or you could do something else. But you also need to get paid for your artwork. And you need to. Absolutely. Fuck yeah. And you need to get paid in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. And the work needs to be handled properly. And, you know, if someone going to take 50% which is a lot yeah <laughs> then I expect that they're going to do half of you know at least all the administrative right work, you know what I mean yeah and unfortunately that's not always the way it works and sometimes when you insist upon it it just means that the gallerist isn't going to try as hard and then you're kind of like you know and then what do you say and then what do you say because they're holding the piece hostage they're like not working on <laughs> selling it because you yeah. forced them to put something in the contract that you're going to get paid in the decent amount of time yeah and so like it just hurts them if they sell the work because then they have to give you money and they mm-hmm. have to pay their bills too because they're bad managers of their money right and so then it's a level of like well how much of an attitude do i give in the situation how aggressive right. can i be and I mean, that always goes back. I think a lot about like just being a woman artist in like all of these. Yes, that's also a great point. And it's just you're almost told to like stay calm. Don't make a big thing Mm -hmm. of it. Oh, it's fine. You know, just play nice. Be nice in your email. And it's just all this extra hurdles where I think is like some other person, (laughs) a dude, you know, would probably just be like, yo, like give me back my artwork. Stop messing around. Blah, blah, blah. I, I want this. I want it now. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's not always the case. I feel like women no. have to negotiate, or at least I feel that women need to sometimes negotiate these sort of tiptoe around these yeah. moments of sensitivity. And I'm just like, screw that. You know, I just, I don't want to play that game anymore. Yeah, no, it's, you shouldn't. It's, detri- it doesn't hurt. it's detrimental it doesn't... to your yes. career completely. To your career and to your mental health yeah. too. And I think that neither one of those things are things that like you should but downplay. You, yeah, but you have to learn those, yeah, absolutely. those moments of like what, what is worth my reputation and also what is worth, you know, me feeling good and not right. being abused. And also thinking that your reputation is something that you're going to create from your work, not necessarily, you know, like people, know. people are able to sort of figure out like, well, <laughs> this person keeps messing with people. Yes. That's certain person. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple of them. I'm thinking of a couple. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll mention that when we stop recording but okay. I, i'm sure that yeah you'll you, you probably had similar experiences um but yeah i think that's a really good point and and i think it's important to bring it up that like as women you are put in the in in, in the shitty situation and even worse quote unquote as like a woman of color mm-hmm. there's even more to lose by exactly people f- like starting to think of you as like the angry minority or something uh or just like that you do feel like there is a small pool of you know who's going to be shown at certain things right Right. and if you are a person of color then right your what are your chances and this and that you know the things that you're applying to so it does really hinder how you make decisions how you negotiate like different spaces yeah do you have any insight or sort of like wisdom that you want to share about that that you have sort of earned i mean I don't know. I mean, I always kind of say this to like my students or I have been lately. It's just like anytime you want something or you just have a plan, you need to just ask for it, Yeah. which I, I never, never did uh, until like not that long ago. (laughs) But just if you want something like, oh, you want some extra stipend for, you know, this part of your exhibition or you are going to a residency and you want them to cover this or you need more white paint over here or you need some pedestals or bullshit. I don't know. You need a ride over here. Um, Just ask for it. Ask a curator for those things. Ask a gallerist for them. Ask, you know, the the person that's running the residency or your professor or whatever or the dean of the school. Um, 
I ended up trying like doing a lot of those things and that helped me so much because I just was like, fuck it. (laughs) Yeah, worst case they'll say no. Other yeah, worst case they're gonna say no, and that's gonna save me so much extra labor and work that's all gonna fall on me. And I already have to produce the artwork. Right. You're already trying to doing your part. You're doing your part. You know, you're still existing as a regular human doing your regular shit that you always have to do. And then you also have to make artwork. It's you know, you need to ask for help, which I think is just so such a hard lesson. And I'm still constantly learning it and but getting better. (laughs) And there are moments, too, where you can like for me, like meet a gallerist that's supporting you and helping you and is offering that like hand in hey do you need a ride over here you want me to come pick this up you want me to wrap this like that's you know that's amazing yeah and so you need to know what those relationships are and how to identify them as a good thing um so yeah how do you manage teaching and producing do those two things get in the way of each other for you (laughs) um because i mean teaching is yeah teaching is emotionally exhausting and there it does take a lot out of you it's super exhausting i'm sure like and i only i mean i i don't even teach that much but i can't even imagine the people that are teaching like three classes in a semester um you're exhausted i mean it's it's like it's and it's a creative exhaustion it's, it's minimum like 15 people just all at once asking you questions and yeah they're curious and everything but they also have different learning styles they're often at different ages they're you know it's it's a new they're maybe not used to using their hands, which yeah. is so common, like a lack of understanding of how to do tactile hand things, hand related things is amazing. Um, so I'm always super exhausted after teaching um, in a different way than than being exhausted just after going to work. What I've done to just cope with that is. I don't know. Just be really. I'm just really into my art right now. So yeah, no, I can tell me, you're like beaming. You're like oh my for God, me. I'm, that's yeah. that like gives me fire to like. I'm not fucking tired. Nice. Like I'm gonna go to the studio after work, or I'm gonna like go to the studio right before work, or right after teaching. I'm gonna you know write these emails, or you know put that in the dye bath, and then it's gonna be ready for tomorrow. I'm just. I guess I'm so hungry for that extra studio time that any mm. moment is being used at yeah. this point, and I'm also kind of you know you you also get better you know you get a better understanding of materials and processes and the way you want your work to grow that it just I don't know it starts to become easier right like what could have taken me a long time three years ago does not take you know it takes me a quarter of the time now and I I, I'm really happy about that that's like really exciting because it gives so much potential to do like bigger and cooler things do you have specific like rituals in the studio or ways that you sort of snap into working Mm, snap into work i mean just like music (laughs) i listen to a lot of pop music surprisingly nice (laughs) what are you listening to right now oh my god just a lot of ariana grande (laughs) like on repeat um that's that's pretty much it like i don't i don't need much encouragement to be honest i mean probably like a snack (laughs) some you know some like food and then i'm ready to go some music and i i don't need much convincing like and you know i feel like a lot of working artists have this issue too where there's never enough time to produce everything you want to no so it's not you're not for me i don't feel a lull and maybe i'll get to that point where you know i'll get a lull but I'm not there yet. I mean, you're pretty. You're very prolific. I'm always like, make, amazed make, at make, like make, how much make. work you're making. Yeah, <laughs> I know, dude. I hustle. It's good. <laughs> I I mean, but it it makes sense. You know, I was like raised like that. My you know my parents they work their asses off and they never get tired. And yeah. they're hitting they're like 65 right now and they still work full time, like seven days a week. And they still want to then like redo the garden or oh, wow. like clean out the, you know, the backyard or like, let's take everything out of the house and paint the house orange. Oh, and wow. Then, <laughs> um, so is the house orange now? It's pink right now. <laughs> oh, wow. I love this. Yeah. That they explains were, a lot. Yeah. I mean, we, our house changed color literally oh, my God, every like so four much. months. Is it the only house on the block that does that or? And no, it's like. It's on the inside of the house. Oh, on the inside. My oh, wow. parents would redo the paint on the inside of the house like every couple of months. Oh, my God. They're on the crazy. inside. Yes, dude. Like all of the rooms. What color is your hallways. house on the inside? Do you do, do, you, do you keep oh. that tradition alive? Um, 
No, not as like extensive. I mean, I think my house is like a green on the inside and then a glazed yellow because of the diner, the like 1960s aesthetic. Uh So those are the colors that are going right now. But I do want to keep that like tradition of, I don't know, they just, they don't get tired. I, I like love that. You know, they want, they want to change things. They want to do things. They, you know, there's no, I've never been on vacation with my folks where we're like sitting on a beach relaxing. Yeah. They're maniacs. We're going to be like, <laughs> we're going to be hauling ass through every city, uh-huh. going to every museum on the block. And we're like from seven in the morning until midnight. Oh my These goodness. pools just want to like go everywhere. And so I, that's like where I think my sense of travel comes from. And yeah. just wanting to move. Now, when you were growing up also like, when there were like parties that your parents would go to where you like part of like the kids that would just like push up two chairs together and then just fall asleep by like 3 a.m. and still wait like <laughs> until the parents were done. No. Okay. No. Hell no. I would be up with them. <laughs> no. no, I don't think so. I Yeah, I've always been able to like keep up with those folks. So it's good. Nice. Well, switching topics a little bit. What are some of your influences or, or people that you kind of like think back to when you feel stuck or that sort of got you to where you are i mean i can't say any more thank you but i can i will to you know christy Matson, who was the person who taught me to weave nice like literally um taught me to weave taught me to and she has this beautiful like drawing practice and then she has her own jacquard loom like her very oh own digital yeah. jacquard loom and living in california <laughs> just very um amazing and um she you know she was also her career is doing really well yeah um so i just i and she kind of intersects a lot of these different space art spaces which yeah. i really love but and she also has a family too i just feel like you know she's able to make all of that work and she's always been like my inspiration and my nice. go-to to see like oh what is she doing right now and how is she able to do that or almost like sort of negotiating my life in a similar I mean that's, I don't know a, if that's important. creepy no but. not at all I think it's really important to have those kinds of characters in I your think life so. yeah. and they're like realistic characters you know they're like I they're people that have an amazing career that you know have an amazing studio practice and you know I really again really like the studio home kind of practice yeah um and then also can like maintain a family or you know just like do really cool stuff and still be a part of like the weaving community or like, you know, some other they teach or, you know, so Christy Matson all the way. Where do you see your work going? Where do I see it going? That's a tough question. Hard one. Um, or what makes you, re- let's, okay, let's I make feel- it, let's make it more realistic. Like what makes you really excited about the direction your work is taking now? Well, it's getting more immersive. So that number one is something I'm super into. Um, what does that mean for you? For me, that means like it's it's a full room experience. So I'm not nice. I'm no longer just like asking someone to walk up to something on the wall. I'm like asking them to interact with things in a different way. Whether they maybe choose to sit on a piece of furniture or they don't, they're negotiating that potential. Yeah. They're negotiating materials. They're like thinking about the scratches or tears on a couch and where it came from and like what does it have to do in relationship with these abstract forms that are like colorful and bright and, you know, blown up or magnified or minimized. So, I mean, I'm really excited about that kind of move, but I don't think it's enough. So right now I'm, I'm sort of struggling or feeling like angry or caged up because I'm not able to make the moves I want to make as quickly as I can, as I want to. And that might include like exploring, you know, carpet, like, making or like tufting or like thinking more about quilting yeah. capacities too or deconstructing quilts um it's just like more more like yeah more all over just exploding all over just the like, place yeah. i kind of just want to like create rooms that are just like literally like a bomb went off of just like crazy home decor and kitchen um i don't know my grandma's house like <laughs> um you know i've been making like plastic covers for some of my pr- furniture pieces you oh know like God. clear yes. like sexy <laughs> sexy clear plastic covers for the furniture pieces you know and that makes me think about um 
just like my grandmother's house and you would just like sit on that couch and you would slip and I can, slide I can, yeah, I can, yeah. and and you know it was and your super, skin would stick to it because it's super hot and i just love that and then I, I also love putting that on a chair that like does not deserve that you know that has a history that is significant that is like very uncontemporary right now and then i'm gonna do that to it yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that's that really excites me is your home full of your work no no i heard a really who was it that said i want to say it was edra soto who said this to me like a long time ago or said it to somebody she was like no i don't want to put up any of my artwork because it's kind of like looking at a mirror of yourself and i don't want to look See, I love I love looking my <laughs> I love looking at myself in the mirror. No, 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 I'm not hating. I'm not hating. Like everybody, my partner yeah. too. My, you know, my partner. He's always like, oh, why can't we put up this piece here? Like, or why don't we get like one of your chairs and put it in the living room or whatever? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just feel weird about it. <laughs> Ever since I heard that comment, I don't even know if it was Edra, but maybe. I, something about that stuck with me and I feel like oh I well that's also because Edra's so good at like oh, I know. She's arranging a, she's a trades collector. with people yeah she's, she's a, a she's collector. a collector for sure and I want to have a collection I think so for me maybe it'll encourage me to collect more artwork than I have which I'm like amassing a little collection but still not enough so I need to do more trading no i have stuff all over my place but for me it's like a a matter of storage it's like i can just like store it in the box or i can put it up that's what my partner has said too to me and i'm just like you're right you're right (laughs) i maybe will like do that like for our diner like once we go once we got our diner i kind of want to i do want to like make specific furniture for that space that happy place um so i'll probably do that that'd be nice do you think about audiences for your work? Like when you're making it, do you think of how other people are going to like experience it? It sounds like you're starting to with like the idea of environments and having people walk through it and stuff. But I, I'm starting to, but I hate to be so like selfish and th- saying that. No, <laughs> really. I mean, that's normal, too, I because, mean, yeah, you're coming from a, a relatively 2D practice where yeah. you don't think about these things as often. Yeah. And I I do want that. Like, I do want to get this sort of like visceral feeling, but I, for me, I need to feel it for myself first. Like, I yeah. want to walk into that space and feel like, ugh. Like, it's yeah. just like my soul is seeping out into the ground. Yeah. You know? And, and then I feel like that'll then naturally just lend itself to others and how they're going to engage with it, which will be, like, super rewarding to, you know, know what they're capturing or gleaning from it. But Yeah. But I just don't want to, like, think about that first initially about the audience first yeah Yeah. i'd like to think about like what do i'm what am i going to generate that's a good one so a couple of questions that i ask also i've been asking everybody one is what advice you wish you would have gotten when you were much younger or (laughs) that would have really helped you and i think we might have gotten around to it a little bit when we were talking about like asking for things but um Ask for your money. Ask for your fucking money. <laughs> Get horrible? paid. No, that's definitely not Ask horrible. Ask for your money. My God, stop being so polite. Wait, what was the rest of your question? Well, no, distracted. that was that was one of the the big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be my, yeah, that would be my major lesson. Like to ask, obviously. Like when you you know when you are like fortunate enough to sell one of your pieces and it goes to like a happy home, that's awesome. You need to be then paid in a timely manner. And that's something yeah. I never thought about, never asked anybody about because it's like so hush hush. And I just wish someone had told me to just be comfortable yeah. doing that. Um, and I guess another thing too, which um, a good friend of mine kind of brought up and made me think about is kind of like have a, and I say this to my students now too, it's like to have a, a five-year like hero like someone that is that you admire that is maybe only like five years your senior um so that that's a really good idea so that you can think about what is your trajectory into in in a relation that is someone not so distant right like i'm not gonna think that's about such a good point yeah that it's not somebody <laughs> yeah it's, it's you know i'm not relatable gonna, i'm i'm not gonna relate to the person who just got the genius grant you know um what's jeffrey gibson, jeffrey gibson. amazing oh my god, oh my god i Fucking love him love i love him, him. <laughs> so much <laughs> i don't i'm gonna go see him i can't wait 
But like, I'm not going to relate myself to that amazing human. I'm going to relate myself to someone that's, you know, just a couple years older than I am, that has a career that I really admire and try to like shoot for that as like, that's my five year plan. And yeah. that's something that I can tackle. And then if I, you know, succeed at that and even go above and beyond, that's great. You know, woohoo. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. So, yeah. The other question is, how do you feel about the internet? the interwebs yeah what's your relationship to it <laughs> i am addicted to the internet oh yeah <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> yes i mean in what ways i mean of course like instagram is super addictive mm-hmm. for me and like such a a pool of like just visual awesomeness and i mean there's just so many things you could look up like yeah. i'm really into interiors now so nice oh i love I'm interior gonna, design I'm instagrams just, yeah like um hardcore decor i love that one oh, yes oh. i mean when i discovered that i was just like where have you been all my to life send you a bunch of links yeah, <gasps> yeah. we'll I'm have like, to share those where have you been all my life but that's what i mean like yeah. i want to get to there and so that's what I'm so I use that as Instagram as like such a form of inspiration and like new techniques new people that are like making work and all over the world um so that's really nice and then internet I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I mean that explains a lot you know because I think that some people have a very sort of difficult relationship to it and they think of it as like a negative thing yeah so I know a lot of people I have a hard time with it and to me it's like it's a tool it's it's a fun one I think it's a learning tool I use it I like reference Instagram all the time with my Mm -hmm. students and it's just Instagram's great yeah because they don't know that there's this huge pool of people that are doing all sorts of crazy shit and if they just like look it up even just casually on their phones as of course they always are on their right. phones yeah they're already <laughs> on there so why not yeah so for me it's just easy i pull out my phone i show them people on instagram and they immediately like relate and then they go look them up and then they follow them or you know they start using that as a means of like research which yeah. i think is <laughs> it's super important i mean i used to think of tumblr back in the day as like yeah. when that was still like an active platform mm-hmm. like my my art tumblr like that was like i called it my studio journal because that's mm-hmm. where i would get like influences and and you know yeah. kind of like collect information yeah when i did like certain like special projects or something i would like make a tumblr page oh it's so special. great yeah <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> so i used good. to love that i miss that platform yeah still. i know i mean i have like five instagrams I have, a, <laughs> I have a couple of like themed ones true that, yeah a yeah. lot of people do that too and so it's fun to like then follow the different ways to that artist um do you like, have any like secret work. like I don't have a themed secret. Instagram. No, I have okay. one, one and only. I'll plug mine. I have one where it's just close up of <laughs> tribal tattoos. Oh, really? Yeah. I did think no of, context, oh just boy. tribal tattoos. <laughs> yeah, I have thought about like doing one for the cats, but I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna go there. So, <laughs> yeah. But no, that's. I mean, it's just so good. And just like kind of going back to like the student thing, I I feel like they just need more ways of looking shit up yeah like when they want to learn something yeah like that's anytime i mean i don't know about you but anytime i don't know how to do something i'm just like i'm gonna google it oh absolutely all the time like all the time most things i've learned on my own exactly yeah yeah i mean the job that i have now (laughs) there was yeah i had a boss for maybe like six months um and that she was amazing um, but then that was it, you know, and then I didn't mm-hmm. have anybody to teach me all these crazy tools. Hello, YouTube, Google. Yeah. Like it was, it's Absolutely. great. And I think especially for like, well, not especially for, but like in an art school, mm-hmm. that's such an important thing to teach people, not just a skill, but like, but how do you how, look exactly. in the future when you're out of this place? How do you do this? Yes. Again? How do you replicate that? How and, are you an artist without the support of oh the academy? My gosh, yeah. And how are you an artist without assignments or without yes. the motivation of like you're in grad school? Yeah. You know what I That's mean? That's a huge one. Yeah, That's yeah, a big sure. one. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. And they get out of school and they're like, hmm, how do I make stuff? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, because like I don't consider myself a fiber artist but i think that my practice kind of goes into some territory around that and materials for sure but like a lot of like weaving techniques and everything like the internet's a great place to learn how to do that i know because sometimes even if you just see it in a book like you can't see the actual like action of the hands you need a youtuber to show you (laughs) you need to see how their fingers are moving and what they're doing with their other hand or like where the like 
Yeah, where the rest of the string is I at that do, time. I like binge watch just video after. Oh, and, I love and, and it's tutorials always some, on... for me, at least like everything that I'm doing in my practice, always like some older woman, <laughs> some little lady, and she's talking very slowly. Uh-huh. So you got to like sit through this whole thing. But I, at this point, I love it. So I'll just sit through the entire monologue until she gets to that one moment, five seconds, where she shows like <laughs> the whole thing I've been wanting. But it was like an hour long video. Yeah. Yeah. But those are so fun. Those are great. So it's it's so important. I can't. I'm never away from the internet. That's great. I love hearing that because <laughs> I love the internet too, and it's so great to to hear you know other people that have a, a similar sort of like fascination with like all the things. It you is can get creepy, there. but I mean, yeah, I'm it just, is also really It's creepy. okay. I've accepted it. We're grownups right now. We yeah. can handle it. Yeah. It is weird thinking about like what kids that like grew up on the internet are going to be like. Oh, I know. Like I bet that's been crazy seeing like the young kids, at, young kids, quote unquote, yeah. at SAIC and like the difference oh, in them. Oh my gosh. Getting to interact with these students because some of them are like 19 years old. Yeah. And it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah, they, it's wild. Well, for me, it's mostly that they, even though they grew up with the internet, I feel like they actually have a really hard time they don't that, know. They don't understand skill. it. They yeah, don't yeah, yeah. know how to research. They don't know how to use it for other things besides entertainment. Facebook, yeah. <laughs> Facebook and Netflix. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Amazon. Uh huh. So outside of that, they don't know yeah. how to use it as a tool, as a studio tool, as an artist resource. Yeah. You know, as any kind of maker. Um. So that's been super hard. And then of course they don't. Again, they don't know how to do anything with their hands. Yeah. Any any kind of like. I hate to say it's like common sense kind of. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> and real. Maybe, they don't. maybe I was like this too, and I'm just being, you know, hard on them. But yeah. I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> probably not to that extent. Because, like, you know, us us grown-ups back in the day like oh, you really yeah. kind of had to like learn how to do a couple of things a by couple hand. of things yeah. by hand yeah because not everything was you know we didn't no you couldn't automate the, it we didn't no. always have the internet you know we couldn't always look it up but but yeah thank god for the internet <laughs> you know and... well melissa anything else you want to say to the young children in the future that oh, are no, listening I think to this I've, like ranted enough about, like, <laughs> speeches i don't know what i'm talking about no one who knows to me. but that'll be fun <laughs> it'll some, be a fun surprise for I us when some, we listen to this later on yeah. yeah thank you for coming by it was really nice to Thanks chat to uh, chat with you and sort of have a redo after yeah. uh, the last one i recorded yes yeah, a recorded one that's gonna see the light of day <laughs> and then you like hit the delete button <laughs> <laughs> and then i'm gonna accidentally delete this Bye. no i got good enough at it there's yeah i know how to work the equipment now but that was a learning curve too Thanks, Internet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Melissa. And there you go. That was our interview with Melissa Leandro. Thank you for listening. Follow her on her website, melissaleandro.com, and that's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-L-E-A-N-D-R-O.com. And then follow her on Instagram as well, melissaleandro89. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-L-E-A-N-D-R-O-89. This podcast was recorded, produced, and edited by me, Ivan Lozano, in Chicago, Illinois. Follow me on Instagram, Ivan Lozano Studio, or check out my website, ivanlozano.net. Thank you, Propeller Fund, for the support. Theme music, as always, by Natalie Murillo, a.k.a. La Spacer. Follow her on Instagram, SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Facebook at La Spacer, L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R, or laspacer.com.